me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. We've been desirous this morning to worship you in spirit, based upon the truth, surrounding the truth, and now we continue to worship you in the word of truth. Draw our attention to yourself. May we be responsive to your word and your spirit for your glory's sake, in Jesus' name. Amen. Raise your hand if you're a football fan. This is a sad, 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 sad showing. Now, raise your hand if you have a team that you're rooting for that's still in the playoffs. That's not bad. Percentage-wise, that was a high percentage. When teams are preparing for a playoff game or a conference championship, they do extensive film study of their opponent. They look for their opponent's weaknesses. They look for their opponent's strengths. There are emphases that the coaches will bring to their players' attention. They'll say, you know, in order to win, we need to have the ball in our possession for X number of minutes. Hey, listen, when they're in this formation... Look out for this guy to do this thing. And so what they're doing, they're trying to get a competitive advantage by looking at all the film, looking at tendencies, looking at team strengths and weaknesses. They do this. As the week progresses, the players begin to get a feel for what the opponent will attempt to do. They start to feel and find ways that they can exploit weaknesses and limit strengths. And they start to feel more like, if we hit these key objectives. We're going to come out on top in this game. So you start with one attitude at the beginning of the week, and as it progresses, they are they're convincing themselves based upon their study and their preparation that if we do these things, we're going to win. And so there's a confidence that's building as they observe uh, the objectives that their coaches set before them. Confidence is essential to fulfilling any mission. Confidence is essential to fulfilling any mission. To fulfill a mission, certain objectives must be accomplished. Now, here we are at the beginning of a study on the book of Colossians that we're going to have some fun with this year. I don't know how long it's going to take us. I'm not in any hurry. We're going to have a great time meditating on the truth of God's Word. There is so much in this small letter Uh, But again, we're not in a hurry to to push ourselves through this study. So we're going to take our time meditating on it. This morning we find ourselves, and we're just going to study one concept that is introduced right at the beginning. Take a look at verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our thinking this morning and next week will be guided by one statement. Right in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. An apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul's ministry was shaped by the fact that he knew what God wanted him to do. His ministry was shaped by confidence that he was called out and sent out by God to do something. He had confidence because of God's commission. This confidence allowed him to press on in the face of difficulty. And so also for us, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, when we know God's will, we will have confidence to take the next step even when difficulties are in front of us. Even when difficulties surround us. You listened to a letter this morning of a 
a man whose family is on the mission field in a very targeted location. And there is fear there. There is trouble there. But they are called by God. And as a result, they said they will look for opportunities to be bold in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Why would someone be bold in the gospel of Jesus Christ with these threats surrounding them? Because they are confident that they know God's will. This morning and next week, we want to talk about living in God's will. There are stops along the path in the Christian life that will provide confidence that we are living in God's will. This morning, we're going to talk about five stops along the path. Five stops along the path that will give us confidence that we're living in God's will. Let's start here, uh, first of all, by heading over to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 for a moment. Remember the phrase that we're considering this week and next. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. By the will of God. He was living in the will of God. He was operating in the will of God. It gave him confidence to write letters. It gave him confidence to bear witness of the gospel. It gave him witness to stand on trial in the book of Acts. It gave him boldness while he was in prison to continue to preach the gospel wherever he was, because he was living in the will of God. The first stop we have along the pathway that gives us confidence in living in God's will is repentance. Repentance. We're in Acts chapter 17. We're going to cut right into the middle of this as Paul stands on Mars Hill in the city of Athens, beginning in verse 22. Acts 17.22 Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own prophets have said, for we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him, the man, that is the judge, raising him from the dead. Listen, here's Paul in a a Gentile culture, Here's Paul amidst a group of people that did not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Here's Paul in the midst of very religious people. They they had some form of desire for some form of deity. And they wanted to cover all their bases. So they had this deity over here, and this deity over here, and this deity over here. And they even had this one over here. The unknown God, in case we missed one. 
And Paul says, well, that's not a God, and that's not a God, and that's not a God. Well, that's not one either, but I'm going to pick up on that. This one that you worship over here, this unknown God, I want to tell you who he is. And I want to tell you what he's like. And I want to tell you what he's done. Now, we only have what's recorded here. I don't know the extent of Paul's preaching here. I only have what is recorded, and that's all we have. I think more was there. But as he talks to them about this unknown God, he tells us about nature in general. He says, we're all offspring of God. That is not the same as saying we are all children of God. I know it sounds the same, but the Bible tells us that when we're born, we're not born as children of God. We're born as children of the devil. We're born sinners. Offspring is those who have come out from Him. They've been created by Him. They've been made by Him. And so there's a difference between being made by God and being a child of God. And he says, we're all made by God. He made all the blood of all the nations. He made all the tongues of all the nations. All the bodies of all the nations. They're all from one blood. God made that that one. And he says, every man, everywhere, must repent. That's what it says in verse 30. Everyone, everywhere, must repent. Repentance is the idea of turning away from something and turning towards something. And so when we consider what he's telling these people to do and how it then impacts us, it's turning away from ourselves. It's turning away from our sin. It's turning away from our pathway and turning toward God, or specifically, toward Jesus Christ. Toward God, because of what Christ has done. And then he says, after he says that that everyone everywhere is supposed to repent, he says he's going to judge everyone in righteousness, in accordance with righteousness. The righteous judgment of God is what he brings up. And he's going to judge everyone based upon the man whom he raised from the dead as evidence of his satisfaction. Well, who is he talking about? You know anyone that died and was raised from the dead? He's talking about Jesus Christ, which is why in my Bible it's capitalized. Maybe your, your translation doesn't, whether it's an older translation like the King James doesn't capitalize certain things, or newer translations like the ESV or NAS don't capitalize certain things. But it's still talking about the Divine One, the Man, Christ Jesus, who is the Judge. And he says, in order to be prepared for meeting that judge, there's repentance that is necessary. Well, I'll tell you, friends, you cannot have confidence. You cannot have confidence that you are living in the will of God unless you have first come to God. You can't live the Christian life without Christ, it's impossible. He is the foundation stone of the church. He is the foundation stone of the believer in Jesus Christ. So if you are going to live confidently in the will of God, there's a a starting block. That starting block is, have you seen yourself as a sinner? Have you seen your way? Your way was providing you an entrance somewhere. But it was not heaven. Your way, and my way as well, leads us straight to hell. The Bible is a strong book, isn't it? And we don't back off the the strength that it purports. Our way directs us straight toward eternal punishment. But God said there's another way. He commands all men everywhere to repent. Turn from your sin and your path that will lead you toward hell and turn toward Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one that brings us to God. And so repentance is the first 
stop on the way to living in the will of God. We must first come to the place of knowing, I am a child of God. We become sons of God when we believe on His name. We've recognized that through Jesus Christ living a perfect life, through Jesus Christ in full obedience to the Father and full obedience to the law of God, He fulfilled the law in deed and in truth and then was rejected indeed by men. And while he was rejected by men, God made him to be sin for us, and thus God then rejected him. You remember? You remember that statement on the cross foretold in Psalm 22? My God, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? Rejected. Why? Because he became my sin. And he became your sin. Which is why we turn from our sin to our Savior, who is our judge. This is is beautiful, friends. I don't know where you stand today. I don't know if you've entered into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I don't know if you have eternal life or not, but I can tell you how. Jesus Christ paid it all. Every debt of sin and the guilt of that sin has been poured out on Christ that you and I might have life if we will turn from ourselves and turn to God through Christ. Repentance is the first stop on the way to living in the will of God. But there is also a second step, friends. Take a look at Romans chapter 12. And while you're turning there, I'll tell you what that second step is. And now, it's not chronological necessarily. It's not like you do this step and then this step. But uh, we come across these steps in life. And here's a second stop that you could take along the way and need to take along the way to have confidence in living in the will of God. And that is presentation. Well, what is presentation? Well, you know, you've got the cake. And you want to make sure it looks good, and so you want to make sure it has good presentation? Well, not, not quite. It's not that kind of presentation. Something different. In Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, where God's Word says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He tells us to present ourselves, present our bodies, and everything that that entails, present ourselves as a living sacrifice. I really like the way this term is defined. The term present means to place at the disposal of. I think a better term is yielded. Yielded, or surrendered. If you are going to confidently live in the will of God, you first must surrender your will to His. You first must yield yourself as an instrument of righteousness for God. That's what it says in Romans chapter 6. Yielding yourself. Placing yourself at His disposal. You cannot live the Christian life if you don't say, God, not my will, but thine be done. You cannot live confidently in the Christian life if you don't say that. But it's not the words that do it. The words don't do it. It's the heart of the matter. Whose will are you living for? Whose will do you desire? What do you want to happen in your life? Your will, all the objectives you've set out for yourself, you think, yeah, this, by the age this, by age this, by age this, these things are going to happen. I had all those hopes and ambitions. What is my will? Flawed. Flawed. What is God's will? Right. God's will is right. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 5, the, the, 
group of Christians that Paul was talking to, he was, he was talking about the, the Christians in Macedonia, and he says this, And not only, as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us. What's the rest of it say? By the will of God. They gave themselves to the Lord, and then to other people, in accordance with the will of God. They had yielded themselves. They said, God, the, 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 my resources are not mine, they're yours. My life is not mine, it's yours. My poverty is not mine, it's yours. Which is why in their deep, deep poverty, this group of people gave over and abundantly to churches and people that were in need. It's amazing. Because they had yielded themselves to the Lord, they yielded all of their resources to Him. Because they had yielded themselves to Him. This willingness to give ourselves to God is a result of our understanding of the purchase price that was made to redeem us. The Bible speaks of our redemption. What is redemption? Redemption is to purchase someone out of bondage. To purchase someone out of bondage. Have you ever been in bondage? Don't say no. Don't say no. Do you realize when you were born into this world, you were born a slave to sin? Without a doubt. I was born a slave to sin. There's a little baby inside my wife right now. That baby's coming out. Lord, soon. Cute little girl. Probably will have a button nose like mommy. Beautiful eyes. Probably have a couple of ears. And if it's a Clark baby, and it is, it'll probably have no hair for a really long time. But cute. A cute sinner. Do they know how to act in their sin as, as teeny, teeny infants? Probably not so much. They will scream and yell and do all the things that they do when they're wet or hungry and all that. Ugh. But as they get a little older, they get to like seven days old. No, like a, a year and a half, two years, two and a half years, three years. They, they make it very clear that they are little sinners. Do you realize that they are in bondage to sin? Have some pity. I need to have some pity. Serious, I'm not kidding. I need to have some pity. This kid is in bondage to sin with no resolution. Well, we can mold them and we can shape them and we can direct them and we can try to shape their will, but they're in bondage to sinfulness. You can't fix that without the gospel. And a two-year-old doesn't get it. Jesus died for your sins. Trust him now. Bapa Gemma. That's what Asa's like, big thing. Just Bapa Gemma. It's this big thing all the time. Or Nana, there's Drew. Yaya, there's Lexi. Dada, you know, you can figure that one out. In bondage to sin. But you realize when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, at that moment, for the first time in your life, you are no longer in bondage to sin because you've been redeemed. You've been bought with a price. What price is that, friends? The precious blood of of Jesus Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's the price. God bought my redemption with the blood of His Son. He bought me. When we understand that we've been bought with the precious blood of Christ, we have this, this desire to say, I'm yours. Take me. Use me. Mold me. Shape me. That's presentation. That's yielding. That's surrender. 
And friend, you can't do that. You can't live in the will of God confidently. You can't without that surrender of will, without that recognition, God. I got nothing. My way, it's not the right way. Your way. It's a theory, isn't it? It's a theology, isn't it? It must, it must intersect with our lives today. It needs to intersect with your life when your wife does X. Or when your husband does Y. When, when they do this thing, here you are, you can either go your way and respond the way that you feel, or you can say, God, Father, not my will, but yours be done. God, help me to demonstrate love even when this situation is not lovely. When your child crosses you, when your coworker does something against you, when your neighbor is unkind, this is where the rubber meets the road. It's not just a theory, and it's not just theology. It intersects with our lives. Yieldedness. You can live confidently in the will of God when you see that pattern of yieldedness. Now, you're not going to see 100% yieldedness, right? That's why you had to confess your sin today and yesterday and the day before and the rest of the days of your life. But the pattern of yieldedness. We see our sin and we don't like it. We see our sin and we recognize it as an offense. And we say, dear God, I'm choosing me again. Cleanse me. Fill me. Enable me to do your will. Yieldedness. That's the second stop. The first one, repentance. We we have to start at repentance. If we don't repent, we've got no resources with which to work. And so we're, we're in bondage to sin. But when we have come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're no longer in bondage. And we have this great opportunity to yield ourselves to God, which is the second stop. And that leads us to a third stop. And you don't have to even turn anywhere for it. Transformation. Transformation. Take a look at verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now I want to emphasize two words in here, and they're not the ones you think I'm going to emphasize. And it's a repeated word. It's the word, be. B-E. Why do I want to emphasize that? This command to not be conformed to this world, and this command to be transformed, are passive voice verbs. What is a passive voice? Here we go, ready? Rob hits the ball. That's active voice. Rob is hit by the ball. That's passive voice. Here's the ball. It's coming. It hits me. I just received the action. And I didn't like it, probably, because I've been hit by the ball. But it's a passive voice. For instance, let's, let's think about this in its context. Don't allow the world to conform you to its image. That's how it starts. Don't allow the world to shape you into something that you were never designed to be. How do, we, how do we do that? Well, stop looking to be everything the world wants you to be. But it's still passive, isn't it? It's still something that happens to us. It's like they're trying to put this garment on us and we're saying, no thank you, I don't want that garment. That garment doesn't belong on me. They want us to look like them. They want us to think like them. They want us to talk like them. They want to be comfortable around us. Don't, don't let them put on someone else's clothes on you. I'm not talking about physical clothes. I'm talking about the real dress of the soul. 
Don't let them make you into something that you weren't designed to be. Also, the second command is passive. Be transformed. Who's doing that action? Who transforms us? God does. God does that work of transformation. And so here we are, we're, we're stopping along the way to living confidently in God's will. And we stop and we're repenting. And so we're turning from ourselves, we're turning toward God. There's, that's, it's very active, though very clearly in Scripture there is a very passive part of that because God is drawing us and God is illuminating us and God is redeeming us. But, but there's an active component, right? We're turning toward God. We're, we're believing Christ. And then there's the, the, the second stop along the way where we're saying, it's not my will but yours. And so we're yielding ourselves, we're surrendering ourselves to God. And then we come to this and it's like, be transformed? How do I do that? You don't. You're a recipient of that. This is such an essential concept in the Christian life. Please, don't don't miss it. The Bible calls us to grow in grace. The word grace can be defined, God's riches at Christ's expense. I don't think that's the best definition. Grace can be defined as God's favor. That's a very nice definition, though very broad. I think as you move down the line to a very specific definition of grace that is common in the New Testament is divine enablement or enablement from God. God's supply. Grow in God's supply. Grow in an understanding that it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Hey, that doesn't mean we sit back and say, well, God, what do you got for me today? I must be a Christian because I'm waiting for you to will and do. When God is doing that in your life, there is a will and there is a do. Right? God's at work in you to give you a will to do something. So growing in grace is not doing nothing. Growing in grace is recognizing that God will do that. And so if there's no action, guess what? No growing in grace. Right? Does that make sense? What happens in a person's life when God is transforming them? Let's take a look. This will be on the screen behind me, and I've chosen to use the ESV rendering of it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself... What does it say? Sanctify. What does that mean? To set apart... To make holy, I just say to cause you to grow to be like Jesus. You can call it conformity to Christ. There's all kinds of ways you can define it, but God is setting us apart. And notice how Paul is stating this, of course, led by the Spirit. May the God of peace himself, may God do this. May he do what? Sanctify you. How much? (laughs) Well, I'm a little better this year than I was last. Is that the goal? I think at a moment in time, we need complete sanctification. Yay? Because, realize this, you're either in the Spirit or out of the Spirit. Do you know that? Do you know that? You can't be both. You can't be somewhere in between. Well, I'm kind of, sort of in the Spirit and kind of, sort of in the flesh. No, that's in the flesh. When you're in the Spirit, guess what? At that moment, sanctified. How? Because I'm not putting on me, a better me, a better Rob. Isn't that so swell? No, that's kind of a cheap imitation. In fact, it's not even a a good cheap imitation. It's like the one that doesn't work. I'm putting on Christ. That's what it says in Ephesians 4.24. We put on the new man who was created 
in true righteousness and holiness. The real deal. So the prayer that Paul is offering here for the Thessalonian church is, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. Listen carefully. He will surely do it. Who does this work of sanctifying us? God does. So, here's the question that we have to ask as people that want to participate in this process somehow. If you look at yourself, and there's no sanctification, in other words, you don't look like Christ, is there a problem? What is the problem? Well, I'd say it relates back to verse 1. Yieldedness. Yieldedness. If we haven't presented our body as a living sacrifice. There is our responsibility. Yield yourself to God. And as a, a result of that, what happens is, you will not be conformed to the world because you're yielded to God. And you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind because you're yielded to God. He's going to do this work. This is the wonderful thing about the Christian life. I recognize that the one that does this is God. It's all grace from beginning to end. From, from the point of calling me into salvation to the point of glorifying me, the entire thing is a work of God's grace. I can't do it. I just say, Lord, I'm yours. And if there is no sanctification, it's because I'm not yielding myself. It is that simple. Now, conceptually, it's that simple. Practically, that's hard, isn't it? Because when you wake up in the morning... You know you're hungry. You feed yourself. And you know your breath stinks, and so you brush your teeth. And you know you probably ought to take a shower, shave if it applies to you, whatever it is. You know how to do all these things, and so you go through your routine, and you're very regimented. You get the things done, and so we're very used to getting things checked off of our checklist. So it's not that easy, because we're used to doing what we, what we know we have to do, and we're also used to doing what we feel. I'm hungry, so I eat. I'm irritated, so I yell. I'm in a hurry, so I speed. I don't like that you cut in front of me, so I'm going to tailgate you. Anyone ever had this problem? Am I yielded at that point? No, I'm not yielded. This is the essence of my problem. I'm yielded to me and not to God. And so I can't live confidently in the will of God if I'm yielded to me. I can will feel very confident that I'm walking in the will of Rob. But what is that going to get me? Not much good. (laughs) So here we are. We're trying to figure out how to live confidently in the will of God. And the first step, stop, repentance. We turn to him. A second stop, yieldedness. The result of yieldedness is a third stop, transformation. Here's a fourth one, and it's related to some things we've just been talking about. Take a look at 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. As we come to 1 Thessalonians 4, we're going to find that another stop along the pathway for us to confidently live in God's will is sanctification. Now, we just talked about it, right? But he's talking about a very specific kind of sanctification. Not a general one, a specific one. So it's not like this general idea of Christ-like conformity or holiness or being set apart. He's very, very specific with regard to physical purity. Physical purity. So you could rename this stop purity or holiness. You would rename it a lot of things, but I'm choosing sanctification because it's the word that's used in the text. 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. 
that you should abstain from sexual immorality. There's the word fornication or pornea in the Greek. Pornea is any form that moves us toward or participating in fornication. Fornication is sexual conduct outside of marriage. Sexual conduct outside of marriage. Pornea can be, just as the word sounds, pornography, leading us toward something, leading us toward sexual impurity. Pornea, in fact, is. Pornography is, in fact, sexual immorality. And so he's telling us, God's will is that you are sanctified specifically to this place of personal purity physically. Does that make sense? Look a little further in how he develops this. That each one of you should know how to possess his own vessel, his own body, in sanctification, holiness, and honor. Not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. See what he's doing here with this? He's making it very clear that to live in, participate in sexual events that lead us toward sexual events outside of the bonds of marriage makes us like the Gentiles who don't know God, makes us impure, and it makes us improperly treat the body, the vessel that God has given us. Moving a little further, verse 6, that no one should take advantage of or defraud his brother in this manner. I want you to stop there for a second. I want you to think about all the people that are defrauded when a believer in Jesus Christ involves themselves in inappropriate sexual relations. Even that which leads to it. We're defrauding our own vessel. He's already told us that. We're defrauding the body of Christ because everything that we do impacts that, right? We're defrauding the one who is or will be our spouse. Yes? And you're also defrauding the person that you're involved in even if it's pornographic, you're defrauding the person that has exposed themselves. There's defraud all over the place. Let's just say it this way. It's bad news. Yeah? Is that right? Is he telling us it's bad news? Can you live confidently in God's will like that? Doing the opposite of what God is calling us to? Absolutely not. He says not to defraud your brother in this manner because, uh-oh, uh-oh, The Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. In other words, God will not let that sexual immorality go unchecked. He'll deal with it. He'll deal with it. In a believer's life, He'll chasten us. What is chastening? Well, no chastening is joyous but grievous. Afterward, it yields the what? Peaceable fruit of righteousness. Why is God chastening us? Because He's really, really, really mad. No. No, because it's not good for us. It's not good for the body, like the body of Christ. It's not good for the person that you're dealing with. It's not good for your spouse. It's not good for anything. So God chastens us to yield proper fruit in our lives. That's why God chases. He's the avenger of that activity because it is a defrauding kind of activity. Verse 7, For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So here's what he's telling us. He's telling us, if you, or this is how we're going to summarize it in our own minds anyway, if you want to live confidently in God's will, you can't be involving yourself in pornea, any form of it, whether it's pornography or sexual activity or the brain that, that gives in to the thoughts of pornographic material. You know what I mean? Am I clear here? This, this is clear. Very good. Sanctification in this particular area is personal, physical purity, and I would have to add, since we're t- we included another element, mental purity. Mental purity. To live confidently in God's will, this is an issue that must be taken care of. Must be taken care of. 
So we've looked at some stops along the pathway in order to be living confidently in God's will. We must repent, turn from ourselves, and turn toward God. We must yield ourselves to God, saying, not my will, but thine be done. We are then, as a result of that, being transformed by God's work, which includes this area that we're talking about here, this sanctification or personal purity. There's one last stop we're going to talk about this morning. Take a look at the next chapter over, chapter 5 of the book of 1 Thessalonians. Here's the last stop for this morning. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. What? Come on! Are you serious? Something so simple like Thanksgiving is part of this conversation? Yes. Seems so simple. Take a look at verse 16. Chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In... Will you say it with me? Everything. One more time. Everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I want to ask you a question. Is there some aspect of the way your life is going right now that you are dissatisfied with? Have you been waiting for that promotion? It just doesn't seem to be coming. Have you been waiting for that baby and she just won't come out? Are you too intent? I'm I'm speaking seriously here. Are you too intent? And, And I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to you too, but I'm talking to me as well. Are you too intent upon superimposing your time schedule on God's calendar? Listen, I didn't think I was going to be almost 39 and still having babies. That wasn't my plan, really. And sometimes I have to grapple with my own attitude about these kinds of things. I'm not unthankful. I'm not like unwanting. But, but you know what? When I start to grapple with that, it's showing something about my thanksgiving, about God's provision and the way God's working. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, I want to control this and this is what I had planned and this is the way I wanted to go about it and this is... Are Are we too involved in trying to make our own satisfaction in things? God seems to make this a big deal, rightly so. I want us to remember this. Thanksgiving is related to contentment. Thanksgiving is related to contentment. Here's a couple verses just for our consideration. Hebrews 13.5 Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be content. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. What is it you have? You have Him. Do you need anything else? Well, we have other desires, but do you need anything else? No. Philippians 4.11, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. So those are both illustrations of ways in which we're content. Now, I want us just, as we conclude some of our thinking here, I want us to think of Romans chapter 1. Now, when you think of Romans chapter 1, particularly the last half of the chapter, you're thinking about God's righteousness being revealed from heaven against what? Unrighteousness and unholiness of men, these kinds of things. So God is revealing His righteousness. And then He starts to talk about how the, God has revealed Himself. Take a look at verse 20. This is on the screen behind me. For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing themselves to become To be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image, into an image made like corruptible men. You know, right smack dab in the middle there of that section, 
nor were thankful. Nor were thankful. That's right at the beginning of this downward spiral that is related to rejecting God. I think we need to do some soul searching, friends. I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about us. We need to do some soul searching. When we start to complain, even if we don't verbalize it, about the way things are. We can't live confidently in the will of God if we're not thankful for the way He's directed and guided, what He's provided and where we are. We can't be living confidently in the will of God. It's impossible. Well, we want to be confident. Here, Back in Colossians 1, Paul was addressing the Colossian church as a representative of God. He says, the apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He was able to address them with confidence because he was functioning in the will of God. Later on, in the same letter, and we're going to get to that in a few weeks, he starts to pray for them. I pray all the time. I pray without ceasing. This is what I pray. It's my constant prayer for you. That you would be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I want you to be controlled by knowing God's will. So knowing God's will isn't just for the preacher. Knowing God's will isn't just for the apostle. Knowing God's will is for every believer in Jesus Christ. Because knowing God's will gives us confidence that we're we're doing the right thing. We're going in the right direction. We want to know His will. And His will can be known. His will can be known. The Bible gives us very clear stops along the path to living God's will. You and I cannot be living in God's will unless we enter into a saving relationship with Him. Repentance. We cannot be living in a confident walk in God's will unless we are presenting ourselves to God or yielding ourselves to God. We are being transformed by His amazing power. We are being sanctified. Purity in our relationships. And we are thankful. We're being appreciative for all that God has given us. As we consider this a little further next week, we're going to come back together. We're going to consider God's will. And the the Scriptures just abound with directives for us. We want to be confident. We just looked at five this morning. Five stops. If you and I are following on this pathway and we're stopping at these five places, we can start to have some confidence. Okay, God's directing my life. I see God's work. I see His, His handiwork in my life. I can see His fingerprints on me. Next week, we're going to continue to look at this through the Scriptures because we want to be those people that, just as Paul, fulfill the commission. Fulfill the commission that he's given us. Let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us as we continue to worship you in song that you would be well pleased. In Jesus' name, amen.